0: You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. There seems to be a perception among Christians that Lutherans are somehow against holy living or against good works.
1: And yet in the catechism we confess that we ask God's name to be holy among us and that this takes place when the word of God is taught in its truth and purity and we as children of God lead holy lives according to God's word. God
0: says, be holy, be perfect, as I, the Lord your God, am holy and perfect.
2: But does he really mean it? Stay tuned for Equipping the Saints with pastors Clint Poppy and Adam Moline.
0: Welcome once again to Equipping the Saints, Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Oline, and Vicar Thomas Goodroad. We are privileged to serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. In each episode of Equipping the Saints, we uh, take a little time and we explore God's word in-depth and with an eye toward holy living. We know that holy living does not uh, get us to heaven, uh, climb the ladder of salvation or any other such nonsense. We are saved by grace through faith on account of the person and work of Jesus Christ. And now, as forgiven and redeemed children of God, we strive to live as Christ has called us to live. For the last several episodes, we've been working our way through the epistle to the Ephesian Christians, and we've had uh, lots and lots to talk about. One of, the, uh, one of the things that really stuck out in our discussions over the last several weeks has been the uh, word walk, parapeteo, and uh, Pastor Moline was able to uh, give us some amazing insight into that word and to the uh, cultural understanding and meaning of that word. You uh, used to walk under a different master, under a different leader. You were ruled by your sin and passions and lust. And now, redeemed and forgiven in Christ, you have a new leader. And as you walk under this new leader, you listen to what the leader says, you follow the leader's example, and you put into practice the things that you have learned. Certainly we can't do that perfectly, not on this side of heaven, but this is what the Christian strives to do. Pastor, have I uh, described that accurately, or do you want to add something to that?
1: No, I think that was a, a, a good way to say it. And, um, you know, we've said it a whole lot in this particular thing, but that's really the, the truth of what Ephesians is about. Uh, we're saved by grace through faith. And so we also live, uh, a, a certain way by grace through faith and act as Christians. And that's kind of the things we've been talking about.
0: When, uh, when people throw about <clears throat> the term antinomianism or soft antinomianism, um, you know, sometimes these theological terms just fly over everybody's heads. What, what do we mean when uh, when we talk about uh, antinomianism or a soft antinomianism that has crept its way into Christianity?
1: Well, uh, antinomianism would be an idea um, that is kind of a popular idea amongst many in our Christian world in the United States today that because all sin has been forgiven by what Christ has done, that we are free to do whatever the heck we want to do whenever the heck we want to, uh, and that there's no longer any ethics that define our lives, no longer a right or a wrong, uh, but that we can just do what we want because Christ forgave us. And um, that's anti antinomianism maybe in a, a really brief nutshell. A soft antinomianism would be Um, you don't necessarily believe that, but you never talk about the way that you're supposed to live. You never teach people the way you're supposed to live. You never proclaim that there is a right and a wrong about it. And because you don't actually talk about the the law, the way a Christian is identified and acts, and uh, the way that a Christian um, behaves. Because you never talk about it, it never actually gets accomplished. And so, in a sense, you fall into the same problem just for a slightly different reason.
0: It, uh, it has occurred to me over the years, as I've learned and grown in this area, too, that uh, when I was a kid in the 60s and 70s, I, I heard a lot of preaching that did a lot of teaching— in the preaching with regard to how a Christian should live. And then there came a time in our church, uh, especially in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, in the uh, 80s and 90s, where it almost became taboo to talk about how Christians should live. The uh, the emphasis was always on the gospel, was always on Christ accomplished work. But like you said, it was never talked about, it was never discussed for fear that even talking about how a Christian should live a holy life might lead someone into a works righteousness kind of approach to salvation. So I think the idea of not wanting people to be works righteous uh, was a good idea. But what happened, especially with preaching uh, from many, many Lutheran pulpits, uh, contributed to the very thing that the pastors were trying to uh, warn against. And I think that's where that uh, kind of soft antinomianism comes from. And when you read the New Testament, especially Paul's epistles, you see that Paul proclaims the gospel beautifully and he also teaches um uh, is it parapanesis is that the is that the word that i'm looking for there he he teaches or paranesis i think is the word where he's teaching the the rules or the guidelines for christian living and so just a uh Uh, A listen to uh, some of Luther's sermons, or Gerhard, or C.F.W. Walther, any of the uh, um, giants in the faith of Lutheranism, and the, uh, uh, quite frankly, the Lutheran Hour sermons of Walter A. Meyer. Uh, They they teach us a lot in this respect, and that's one of the things that we're trying to do is uh, to try to balance that out by. Again, having that bold proclamation of the perfect life, bloody death, and glorious resurrection, ascension, and imminent return of Jesus for forgiveness, life, and salvation, and to teach the importance of holy living, and I love your word there, uh, ethics, and Christian ethics, and uh, we're going to wrap up Ephesians chapter 6 today and our study of the book of Ephesians for right now, and uh, we're going to move into a general discussion of ethics, and then specifically a discussion of sexual ethics for the Christian. So that's where, that's where we're heading in the future. Vicar, we want to uh, look at Ephesians 6, 21 to 24. Would you be so kind as to read those words, please?
2: So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers, and love with faith, from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible.
0: Thank you. That was Ephesians six twenty one to twenty four. I think so often we uh, we look at these um, salutations or final greetings in the epistles almost as kind of throwaway parts of Scripture. And uh, that's, that's an easy trap to fall into, and yet many times there are some uh, almost hidden jewels that are here. We are, uh, we are introduced to a gentleman here in verse 21, uh, Tychicus, or Tychicus, uh, I'm not exactly sure the exact pronunciation there, but uh, he is, uh, he's mentioned several places in Scripture, Pastor, and... Um, what do we know about this uh, particular individual?
1: Yeah, uh, he is mentioned several places, and uh, you know he's always associated with Paul. Uh, and so he's a Christian um, who, with another guy named Trophimus, uh, accompanied Saint Paul uh, on his journey from Macedonia to Jerusalem. Now um, we and, that's don't- an, and that's in
0: and that's an Acts twenty if i'm if
1: i'm x20 uh... yep uh and then he's mentioned in ephesians colossians titus and i believe second timothy as well um so he's he's an asian uh christian now when we say asia at this time what we mean is what we would think of as uh turkey today um in the ancient world, Turkey uh, is the beginning of Asia and it goes all the way over into Persia of the time, which today would be Iraq and Iran. Uh, All that area is Asia in the the ancient mindset. And so he's from the region of Turkey, uh, which means he's probably heard Paul preach on one of his missionary journeys and then has, as a result, accompanied Paul. Um, And I would submit to you that it sounds like he's probably Uh, being trained or has been trained to be a pastor. Uh, And uh, so it says he's a faithful minister and a fellow servant, for example, in the book of Colossians. Uh, In this particular verse, it says he's a brother and faithful servant. I think that word faithful servant tells us that he is at least being trained uh, to be a pastor, and so uh, he is going to be sent to proclaim the word, to uh, teach about what's going on, and almost maybe we could think of it too as a a way to continue to get support for the missionary work that Saint Paul is doing. Um, you know, perhaps that's the reason that he's going around, not just financially, but then also part of continuing to support mission work is to make sure the word is being faithfully taught back um, in the places supporting the missionary so that uh, everyone is always on the same theological page. we we would be wrong to support a missionary that we didn't agree with in doctrine and practice. And uh, it would be wrong for a missionary to accept support from a congregation that is not in the same doctrine and practice. And so there has to be constant communication back and forth between the supporters of the mission and between the missionary so that this Faith can be one, and we can be a part of the one Christian church in that way. I maybe I'm saying no, I, too much there. no, I think I think you're you're spot on with those
0: comments, and that's something that we don't emphasize enough. sometimes in our zeal for mission, uh, quote unquote, we are uh, we're not very discerning with regard to what kind of Mission or other charitable contributions that we might give. Uh, in, yeah,
1: I think we're lazy about it, we're, right? We're very lazy. We just find a, a barn somewhere and then send our money to them and trust that they'll do what's right to it rather than actually doing the research for it.
0: Yes, uh, we're more concerned about our IRS contribution deduction than we are about uh, where those monies are going and how they're being spent. In Second Timothy 4.12, uh, Paul tells Timothy, that he has sent Tychicus to uh, to Ephesus and I'm wondering pastor if this might be the very trip on which uh, Tychicus is uh, carrying this particular letter to the Ephesian Christians and maybe also Colossians and Philemon as well thoughts on that?
1: Uh, I would, you know, it would sound like that would be a good idea that that makes a lot of sense. Can we say that completely? Um, that's hard, hard for us to say because uh, we don't have all the details, but it would make sense. Um, and, um, there's not a whole lot of time outside of that where this probably came. And so it's very likely Is it for sure, 100%? I don't know that we can say it 100%.
0: That might be why that was recorded by the Holy Spirit in 2 Timothy. We need to take a break. Uh, When we come back, I want to ask about this beloved brother thing. I didn't know that Paul had any brothers. We want to ask about that, and uh, even more when we come back. This is Equipping the Saints. Don't change that dial. You are
1: listening to KNNA. L.P. 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska.
0: Welcome back to Equipping the Saints, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Goodroad. We're looking at Ephesians six verses twenty-one through twenty-four, the uh, final greetings of Paul to the Christians at Ephesus. And uh, in our first segment, we uh, we talked a little bit about uh, uh, these final greetings, how sometimes they're they're almost. Uh, throw away parts of scripture to our shame. And uh, then we also talked about uh, the the whole understanding of antinomianism and soft antinomianism and uh, the importance of having a Christian ethic as a part of our preaching and our teaching Uh, so that you may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. Um, Before we went to break, I uh, picked on that uh, phrase, beloved brother. Uh, We're not talking about, you know, the uh, physical relationship. They're they're not blood brothers, are they, Pastor?
1: No. uh, In fact, we can be sure and certain of that because... um It's obvious that uh, Tychicus is a Greek and Paul is not, and so there is a separation somewhere. The word beloved brother here uh, indicates that they are sharing a common father, though, in the faith. Uh, And uh, what that means is that Tychicus is a Christian just like Paul is a Christian. And um, to understand this, perhaps we can go back to the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, who... When he gets out of the grave, he doesn't. He goes and he tells the the women who are at the tomb, uh, "Go and tell my brothers." He doesn't say, "Go and tell those scoundrels who ran away when I was being killed." He says, "Go tell my brothers." Um, and in a sense, when we're adopted into the Christian church through the waters of holy baptisms, we become um, brothers with Christ as well. God is our Father, and we we teach this in the uh, small catechism in the Lord's prayer section that. Um, We may call upon God as a dear child calls upon a beloved father. And so Paul's using that exact same language. Now, the the challenges in our world today, a lot of uh, well-meaning Christians uh, use this phrase kind of uh, tongue-in-cheek, you know, and they call everybody brother, uh, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but um, there has to be more to it than just uh, calling everybody brother. You want to know who they are and what they believe, and Paul has that here.
0: And uh, in one respect, because we are all one blood, Uh, We are all brothers in that respect, but this has a specific meaning with regard to brothers and sisters in Christ, and I think sometimes pastors throw that phrase out uh, very loosely and cavalierly as well. He goes on, and we talked about this a a little bit in our earlier segment uh, toward the end, but when he calls him a faithful minister in the Lord... Uh, I want to I want to unpack that just a little bit more. I th- I think by calling him a minister that puts him in the office of the holy ministry, and by calling him faithful, faithful in the Lord, that uh, he's not only trustworthy that he's going to be able to convey the. Uh, details of Paul's imprisonment and how his health is and what the weather is like and what the uh, chariot games are going on that he's going to be able to convey those kind of truths but he's going to be able to share with them uh, the most important truth in a faithful way and that is the truth that comes from the Lord am I am I putting too much into that pastor
1: no, I think uh, the the phrase here in the Greek indicates that Tychicus is a pastor who is orthodox uh, in what he teaches and believes. And so Paul is vouching for him. And uh, really, this is the way that it always went in the, uh, the history of the church and the way that <laughs> it's too bad it doesn't always go this way now— Um, To be a pastor, you had to be vouched for, in a certain sense, um, by others. And so uh, we've talked in, for example, the Acts Bible study that uh, to be a pastor, you have to be educated, uh, examined, called, and ordained. And the examination part is the vouching for part, where you go through all the doctrine and the theology, and you find out what someone believes so that you're able to vouch for them. Uh, And uh, we are really nervous and uncomfortable doing that today because we take it all personally and uh, we are uh, too caught up in our own egos uh, to hear where maybe we are not quite right and then to think about it and to correct ourselves where maybe we've said something that's wrong And so we kind of uh, don't do this examination as it ought to be done and as it historically has been done. But you can uh, see here how Paul has done that. He's examined Tychicus, and he is now vouching for Tychicus because he has examined him and found him to be an Orthodox pastor.
0: Would you say that the uh, 12-month vicarage program is a part of that vouching for the individual?
1: It is a part of it um, because you see someone's practice and you hear someone teaching. Um, the The challenge is, is that uh, even in the 12-month uh, uh, vicarage, uh, someone can work really hard to hide their falsehoods. Um, it should be more than just the vicarage. It should be the entire life of the individual who was their pastor while they were being taught the Christian faith, Uh, You know, in things like confirmation class, do they vouch for them as being faithful, Uh, and is that guy who's doing that vouching faithful? Um, The professors at the seminary should be vouching for the guy. Um, The uh, family of the guy should be vouching for him. Um, the vicarage supervisor. uh, And then even when a person gets called to a church um, in the old days, a a circuit uh, or at that time a a ministerium would interview the guy before he was eligible to be called to a congregation or placed at a congregation to make sure that uh, the other churches in the area had faithful guys. Um, And uh, that definitely has gone out. And, And I'm just going to throw it out there and, and maybe it'll make some people angry. Uh, We are kind of even getting away from the seminary and the vicarage and the things like that, uh, doing this examination and vouching for people because we've come up with SMP programs where we can raise up someone from within a congregation with very little actual seminary training. I know there's some, and I know I'll catch some grief and flack for that, Um, but uh, the influence then comes from the local pastor and not from the wider church Uh, And so the wider church doesn't have as much time to interview and examine a man before they vouch for him, and that causes a big problem in the long run.
0: It seems like uh, today we put... Uh, much more emphasis on the uh, personal qualities and personal gifts of an individual. Are they an eloquent speaker? Do they have a winsome personality? Do they have a a nice family? Uh, Some of those kind of things. And uh, then that that extends on to uh, other things like, uh, well, what is their preferred style of worship? Do they like uh, praise bands, or do they like the traditional liturgy? Uh, will they will they do a children's sermon, or uh, do they would they prefer not to? And we're looking at all these extra extraneous kind of things rather than is someone faithful to the word of God in their understanding of the word of God in their preaching and teaching of the word of God uh, What what's your experience there pastor you've been in, at this over a decade
1: yeah I think we do emphasize those things uh, probably too much I will say at the same time those things are important uh, if the pastor's family is going to Uh, obscure God's Word, that's an issue. That's one of the things that needs to be looked at and examined. If a pastor's health situation is going to obscure his ability to preach God's Word, uh, say he's of ill health, um, that's something that needs to be examined along with being faithful. But you cannot elevate uh, he's a nice guy with a nice family over his faithfulness. You have to have all of these things together. And uh, the question ought to be asked then, well, who could actually serve as a pastor? And the truth is, is that every single pastor serves by the grace of God. Um, And uh, if we understand that first, that helps a lot with the faithfulness part.
0: I always get really nervous when I ask someone about, uh, oh, tell me about your pastor. And the first words out of their mouth is, well, you know, he's a really nice guy. Uh, Because I know the next word is going to be, but. He's a really nice guy, but. And then will come the, uh, the, the flaws, and sometimes those flaws are theological flaws. And it's, uh, it's very disheartening when, uh, when you hear those kind of things.
1: And I think, uh, so I don't know if any pastors actually listen to this or not, right? Um, if they do, uh, repent of yourself and never be above correction by God's word and that puts a lot of these things into the proper place.
0: In verse 22, pastor, it says uh, I have sent him to you for this very Purpose. What purpose
1: is he talking about for this very purpose? Well, uh, as, as he kind of has said, he sent that they might know how he's doing and what he is doing. Um, and uh, the word here is proso, uh, which uh, indicates uh, the actions of Paul, the transactions that he's making. Really, it, it means the missionary work, the proclaiming of the gospel, the baptizing of Christians, and uh, the uh, administration of the Lord's Supper. Uh, Tychicus is coming to share that with them, not just what Paul is doing in those regards, but also then to uh, participate with them in that. There's this aspect of uh, worship being behind all the things Christians do in the ancient world. Um, and that that is the way then that someone vouched for you uh, that you are the body of Christ is by participating in God's gifts of word and sacrament together. Um, uh, fellowship uh, is the idea here. And so Tychicus is doing all of these things when he's sent. I think the word sent is important too. Um He doesn't just raise up a congregation there himself. He hasn't uh, come from the congregation and said, I'm going to be your pastor. Uh, He's been sent there in the same way that the apostles were sent out and that Paul was sent out, and now Tychicus is being sent. And so the church sends the minister to the place. The place doesn't raise up the minister for themselves. This is, again, back to that examination. And,
0: And we have that. Not only in Scripture, where Scripture warns us against the prophets uh, who were never called but still go and sent. The prophets were not given words to preach, but they still went and preached. God uh, criticizes and condemns that uh, categorically. Luther uh, talks about the uh, Anabaptist preachers that uh, were raising all kinds of uh, havoc and naughtiness because they were going into areas where they had never been sent and stirring up all kinds of uh, theological issues. Now, we're about out of time on this segment, Pastor, but I want to, uh, in verse 22, it says, that he may encourage your hearts. Uh, were they going to have a hog roast and a keg of beer? What, uh, what kind of encouragement is he talking about here?
1: Well, they might have a hog roast and a keg of beer, but uh, again, this is uh, emphasizing worship, word and sacrament. Uh, Paul is um, very clear, uh, both in the book of Acts and then also in his epistles, about how faith is made, and it is through preaching and teaching and through the administration of the sacraments, and it is in those things that our faith, our hearts, are encouraged uh, in Jesus Christ. That is the only true lasting encouragement that
0: we can have is encouragement that comes from the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We need to take a short break. We'll be right back. Equipping the saints, Ephesians 6, 21 to 24. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Equipping the Saints. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, and Vicar Goodroad uh, serving the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. We're looking at the final greetings of Paul to the Christians in Ephesus and uh, final greetings to us believers today as well. There's there's a lot here, a lot more than I thought of when we uh, realized that we only had these uh, few verses left to finish our study. Uh, vicar do you want to read 21 through 24 so we can get that context
2: so that you also may know how i am and what i am doing tychicus the beloved brother and faithful minister in the lord will tell you everything i have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts peace be to the brothers and love with faith from god the father and the lord jesus christ Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible.
0: All right, we've got some uh, really interesting things. This greeting's a little bit different than the final greeting that Paul usually has, and a few things are included there that uh, aren't normally in his final greetings. But before we get into verse twenty-three and twenty-four, uh, during the break, we had an interesting discussion on that phrase "encourage your hearts," and uh, you know, I thought we had covered that fairly well in our last segment. But uh, Vicar made some comments. Comments that uh, really, really struck me. And uh, I want to uh, I want to have him share those comments right now so we can have a little bit of discussion. Uh, encourage your hearts. Vicar, why is that uh, a really important and crucial phrase in uh, in this particular letter of Paul's?
2: Well, I think in a, a large part of the church today, people are very concerned with how they feel and how church makes them feel, how their pastors make them feel, and, and they're very concerned with emotions and emotional experiences in general, uh, rather than focusing on the faith and focusing on Christ. So I think that a lot of Christians today would encourage uh, would uh, interpret that encourage your hearts phrase very differently from the way that uh, Pastor Moline did just a moments ago. Uh, they would they would take it to mean uh emotional encouragement and, and that's it. Like, hey, you can do it guys. You can uh you can keep on uh persisting, you can you can get through anything, uh you can do whatever it is that you need to do. But so boomers
0: would say keep on trucking. <laughs> keep um, your chin up. Yeah, yeah. You have to look that one up too, Vicar. <laughs> um but uh, there there is and that's why I thought your comments were um uh, during the break, we were, were so uh, important because there's a lot of this heart talk and heart language that's in the church. And, Pastor, I got to be honest with you when, when I hear other Christians, and especially other pastors, and especially other Missouri Synod Lutheran pastors, use this kind of heart language and heart talk, quite often I have no idea what they're talking about. Um, your thoughts or comments on Vickers' observation?
1: I think the vicar's right. And just like you, I don't always know what that means. And I I think sometimes we overemphasize what the heart wants. The heart uh, is uh, sinful just like the rest of us. And the heart often deceives. Uh, For example, sometimes what my heart really wants is an ice cream cone, Um, you know, or a
0: piece of blueberry pie,
1: or yeah, raspberry. Oh, raspberry, raspberry, just to be clear. Okay. Have you had raspberry Pi? You'd understand why. Not before Uh, eight o'clock in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) You're missing out. Um, No, and the the trouble is, is that uh, out of the heart flow all kinds of wickedness and evil thoughts and uh, uh, even degeneracy. Um, It's only from Christ and from his word that uh, we find out what the truth is and uh, that we learn how, what love is and how to love ourselves. Um, And so it's Christ, that is the definition, not what we feel in our hearts, because our heart isn't um, holy and perfect and pure as we oftentimes think it is. We, We are not
0: blocks of stone, though. And we do have feelings and emotions. And so what I struggle with with this heart talk is to have that proper balance between head and heart, the the knowledge of the faith and the emotions that are oftentimes stirred uh, you know, when when we during Lent are singing Stricken, Smitten, and Afflicted, uh, I am filled with emotions. On Easter Sunday, when we sing with the trumpets blaring, Jesus Christ is risen today, hallelujah, I am filled with emotions. When, uh, when I go to the communion rail, uh, thinking about my family and friends that have died in the faith, and angels and archangels and all the company of heaven, I am filled with emotions. So, uh, Pastor and uh, Vicar, maybe you want to weigh on, in on this as well. Um, aren't we talking about uh, a proper balance between these two and not overemphasizing one at
1: the expense of the other? Well, I would say we never overemphasize the head knowledge. That's not faith. We never overemphasize the emotion. That's not faith. Faith is a gift that comes from God and is delivered to us through the Word and the sacraments. So uh, on Easter Sunday, when you get goose pimples all over your arms, um, is that the certainty that you have in the faith, or is that a result of the certainty you have in the faith? Very well put. Um, Very well put. The head knowledge, is that the certainty that you have? If so, can you really know for certain all the things that you believe? Uh, or is it the result of what God has given to you in word and sacrament? And so we wouldn't discount emotion or heart or love or knowledge, but we would always want them to be in the right order, that those are the things that flow out of the gifts that God gives. Oftentimes, the, the things the vicar was talking about, we're doing it the other way around. Uh, and this is the the Mormon way of theology. Your heart feels warm, and so you know it must be true. Well, that's not actually a certainty my heart feels warm uh when i eat raspberry pie for breakfast that doesn't mean that that's a a good and proper thing to always do my heart feels
0: warm today because i ate too many salty pretzels before i went to bed (laughs) and i call that heartburn uh but uh, uh vicar you know you wanted to you wanted to bring up this topic and i think rightly so uh have we have we covered it uh, to your satisfaction, or do you want to add anything else?
2: Uh, well, there is actually there's one comment, and then I had one question to follow up as well. So the comment would be that in Strong's Concordance, one of the acceptable usages of "cardia," which is the Greek word for heart, used here, uh, is "inner self." So it's not like literally encouraging one specific thing, but all of these different things: your mind, your heart, uh, you know, including your emotions, your faith, everything working together. Being encouraged, I think that the question is, encouraged to do what? Well, preach the word and uh, keep your eyes focused on so, Christ. So it's a
0: holistic encouragement.
2: Yes, exactly. Very, very good. Thank you. Um, and then the question would be, how would you, either either pastor here, how would you respond to someone who uh, uses the language of, oh, the Lord put this on my heart uh, to do such and such, and such a thing? Um, how would you respond to someone using that kind of language?
1: Well, uh, I always like to um, ask the person how they know that, uh, and that uh, that question will reveal to you what's really behind it all. Because uh, many times they'll say something like, "Well, I just had a vision," or uh, "I just knew it to be the truth." Uh, and when you have that, your source of um, confirmation is extra biblical. Uh, and that's always a problem uh, where we find the source is not, again, like I said before, in ourselves or in our thoughts or in our uh, hearts. Uh, we find where these things that matter come from God's word. That's, uh, I, I think that's well, that's
0: well said. Uh, we, you need to get to the point when somebody says those things, you need to get to the point where you can ask the proper diagnostic question. Uh, when, you, when you take your uh, vehicle in and uh, to, the, to the shop, to the mechanic, and you say, um, you know, I was driving down the road today and something didn't feel right. Well, the mechanic is going to say, can you be more specific? Or uh, are you talking about the steering or the sound of the engine? Tell me more. And uh, that's one of the things that I've learned uh, very much from uh, Pastor Kuhlman down the road in Murdoch is the importance of asking diagnostic questions and getting to the point where you can. One of of his favorite lines is, oh, really? Tell me more. And uh, generally, people are not shy. If, they're, if, they, if the Lord has laid something on their heart and they're going to tell you that, they're not shy about telling you how they got to that point. And then we can ask them the, that diagnostic question, how can you be sure? Because 99 times out of 100, this is an extra biblical kind of thought or feeling and to, uh, to be able to help the people get to the point where they are relying on Scripture, the absolute clear and objective Word of God. That's where we want to lead people to, and that will truly encourage their hearts.
2: And you're not, uh, when you're going and baptizing a baby at the font or something, you're not doing it just because, oh, the Lord put this on my heart. You're doing it because you're following the command of Scripture yes. where, where Christ says to baptize. The mandate and promise.
0: The mandate and promise. Um, let's uh, let's at least get started with uh, twenty three and twenty four here. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's zero in on that word peace, Pastor. Um, you know, many people uh, have different understandings of that word peace. Just like Vicar said, uh, you know, that encouraging the heart brings out many things here. Uh, I think for most people, peace is the absence of war. Generally, in the New Testament, peace comes from that shalom, peace word in, uh, in the Hebrew. So how would we define peace? Um,
1: as Christians, we would define peace as... Um you know, the worldview is that there's no conflict, right? We can all get along and be one big happy family, right? Um, for us as Christians, where's the biggest conflict? And it is between humanity and God as a result of sin. And so the peace that we can actually have that Paul shares with the brothers uh, in Ephesus and that we as Christians share with one another is— uh, first off predicated on the reality that because Christ died for our sins we are at peace with God and as a result of God dying for not just my sins but say the vicar's sins we can be at peace with one another because God has forgiven him just as much as he's forgiven me and so that forgiveness earned by Christ crucified and resurrected is the foundation for all peace both between us and God and then also for us as one another and we have that all in common uh all peace people, which is how we have a unity of faith in Christ. That word peace
0: is quite prevalent in our liturgy, in our hymns, and of course in in Holy Scripture. And I have told people that in the liturgy especially, when you hear that word peace, you can, uh, at least in your mind, substitute the phrase forgiveness or the forgiveness of sins. Peace be with you. And also with you and with thy spirit.
1: Uh, is, is that an oversimplification, Pastor? Well, I, I think that's the same thing I just said, that then the peace is coming from the forgiveness of sins that Christ has earned for us. And that's the foundation for all peace that's real peace. Amen. Amen. We need to take a
0: break. Equipping the saints, Ephesians 6, 21 to 24. We'll be right back.
1: You are listening to K N N A L P 95.7 FM Lincoln, Nebraska.
0: Welcome back to Equipping the Saints, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Goodroad. We serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Check us out. You can come worship with us anytime. All of our worship services are broadcast on KNNALP 95.7. You can go to the website thecross957.org. Um uh, KNNA Theological Programming. We've got uh, hundreds, literally hundreds of uh, podcasts that are recorded and stored and archived there for you. And uh, thanks for tuning in today as we conclude our study of the book of Ephesians. Pastor, um, We're doing something a little different here with equipping the saints, and uh, we've spent a lot of our time looking at the appointed pericopes uh, in the the liturgy of the church. We've done uh, four or five years' worth of proclaiming the one where we work through the liturgies for the upcoming Sunday. Uh, Last year, we devoted our entire time to the minor festivals. Uh, and uh, that that is that has been fun. That has been good. Gave us a chance to get to know each other a little better. Uh, not not so much personally because we knew each other before that, but uh, theologically. And uh, this is different, where we're taking a book of the Bible or we're taking a topic and digging deep into it. So uh, before we conclude our study of the book of Ephesians. Um, what, what, are, what are you thinking at this point? Uh, this is episode, I think, 16 of Equipping the Saints. Uh, how are you feeling about this uh, approach so far? And uh, are, you, are you missing the, uh, the Proclaiming the One type uh, program? Or do you think this is a benefit for not only the, the hearers, but also for the pastors?
1: I think this is a benefit for the hearers. I think it's a benefit for us. I think we need to do more talking about these sorts of things because um, in the day-to-day life of the average Christian today, they are confronted with questions about these things all the time. So we talked about marriage Um, The majority of our members are married, and they have issues in their marriage and issues in their families, marriages, uh, kids and and parents, things like that. And so what does God talk about marriage? How do we know what it is? I think it's good for us to talk about these things. We are confronted with questions about life, uh, questions about sexuality, and uh, how do we respond as Christians. And so I think it's important for us to at least lay a foundation. And the first step in that is to understand what the scriptures say, which is what we're kind of doing here, so that we know, A, how do we live as Christians, and B, how do we also respond to those who live differently or think differently or teach differently than us, and for that reason, I think um, going into these ethical questions is really important. Um, that's been
0: that's been my thought as well, and uh, you know, we, we'll certainly continue to air our uh, programs. Uh, Majoring in the minors and proclaiming the one, but uh, this is uh, this a new program And I think uh, it's been very well received to this point as well. Let's uh, let's dig back into Ephesians 6 23 and 24 the last two verses of the letter peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Uh, we talked about brothers uh, earlier, and so uh, this is—we're uh, not talking about um, a, a physical relationship. We're talking about brothers and sisters in Christ. Peace be to brothers and love with faith. Um, Love with faith, Pastor, uh, that, that's kind of an unusual um, phrase. You know, some of, our, uh, some of our Roman Catholic friends would talk about faith formed by love. But here we have love with faith. Um,
1: thoughts on that phrase? Well, again, uh, this is the word that we probably should uh, translate as charity, right? Because we have so many different understandings of what love is. Uh, this is the brotherly love, the Adelpha, uh, 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 Philadelphia love, um, brotherly Phyllis. love. So this this is this is uh, agape here, uh, oh, it or, is. Um, but uh, it is that kind of word, charity. And it means something bigger and um, than just uh, the way we kind of banter the word love around today. So it would be important to use it properly. Um, but this faith with love, I think they go together hand in hand. How can we actually love someone if we don't have faith in Christ? Uh, there's a, an episode of Friends, and I always hate to bring up this particular show, where um, Phoebe gets something for free and she's trying to return it because she doesn't want anything for free. Um, and that's the way we are always thinking about it. She keeps failing and failing because everything that she does to try and get rid of this thing she got for free uh, ends up with some benefit for herself. and. That's really the way most people think about things. People love their wife because there's a benefit into it, right? Maybe she'll cook you a meal. Maybe uh, she'll warm up the sheets before you jump in in the middle of the night or whatever. There's some benefit for it from you. Um, but if our love and faith are connected, then uh, we, we find out it's a completely different thing, and it kind of sets us free to be Christian, to do what's right, and to uh, care about people because we have been first cared about. From God, I think, I'm, I'm probably talking in circles here. Not no, I think any that's sense. well.
0: I think that's well said, and I think that uh, well, you know, when you're older, uh, you know, they'll have a phrase for when you keep bringing up friends and nobody even remembers the TV show. Uh, a a. Uh, a phrase like boomer that sometimes gets thrown around at me there'll be a phrase for you for that too so i just want to prepare you for that uh, humiliation in your old age
1: well um you you know uh, friends probably is more of a boomer or generation x show um if if it's going to be me millennial it probably would be big bang theory um or even uh Game of Thrones or something like that How I Met Your Mother How I'm There that would that one yes that would be the, the show that is more millennial so yeah, two of the, two of those
0: three uh, I've, I've heard of all three but two of those three I've never watched an episode so I Don't. guess I truly am a boomer um, <laughs> pastor uh, with the time that we have left the, the uh, verse 24 it says grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible now, when I look at that verse, it seems like, well, grace be to Christians, but no grace, uh, no soup for you. How's that for a friend's thing? Uh, <laughs> no grace that's for Seinfeld. you. Seinfeld. Oh, Seinfeld. <laughs> See, I don't even know these shows. Uh, but no grace for you. And... Um, uh, I haven't brought it up this entire episode, so I'm going to refer to uh, Winger's uh, wonderful Concordia commentary on Ephesians. And on pages 767 and 768, yes, folks, it's that big. Um, he says, to refer to his addressees as those who love our Lord Jesus Christ is, however, almost completely unique to the Old or to the New Testament. And then he says, the double formula of anathema and invitation has been interpreted as a statement of communion fellowship, which means that those who love the Lord and are baptized, catechized, faithful, and orthodox members of the church. Paul's use of the formula here indicates an awareness that this letter was being read in the divine service and would be followed by the Lord's Supper, in which only those who love our Lord would participate.
1: Wow. What do you think of that? I I think he's right, and I think that indicates how important practices like closed communion are. And I think you and I have talked about, I don't remember where, that... Something that we've kind of lost uh, with the modern church is is exclusivity, uh, and that maybe we need to return to the exclusivity of the church, that um, there is something different about being Christian uh, than being in the world, Uh, and that we need to return to that and not just while we want everyone to be Christian, we don't just let everyone into the church unless they are Christian. Uh, and uh, kind of, there's a tension there that we need to bring back. So
0: um, earlier we saw that uh, Paul is sending Tychicus to encourage the people's hearts. And uh, if, uh, if Winger's understanding of this is correct, and I think he's right, Uh, But if Winger's understanding of this is correct, uh, how does the practice of closed communion, and for those who may not know what that means, is that only those who believe, teach, and confess, as we do, are admitted to the Lord's Supper? Well,
1: I wouldn't even say that. I would say only those who believe teach and confess as Christ does, okay. So that the emphasis is not on we good. but yeah. on Christ, yeah. Because we good. have a problem with that in the Missouri Synod. Yeah, very
0: good, very good. <laughs> yeah, w- w- rather than being a card carrying member of the ministerium, I just recently showed you that I thought that was so silly uh, that I got uh, years ago from the Nebraska district president. I'll show that to you, Vicar. But uh, uh, you know, and it was very common, uh, especially during uh, World War II. When uh, the young men of our Missouri Synod congregations went off to war, they were issued a card uh, stating that they were an upstanding member of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. They literally were card carrying members of the Missouri Synod. That's where that comes from. Um, so, uh, back to my original question how is the practice of closed communion uh, meant to encourage? the Christian's hearts. Uh, there are many people
1: who would say it does just the opposite. Well, to, to go back to Paul in Ephesians 5, where he talks about marriage, right? Uh, one man, one woman united in marriage, and uh, uh, all the things that come with marriage as a result of that really reflect Christ in the church. I think that's the, the key there. Uh, I'm married to my wife, and uh, my wife is married to me, and there are things that come with that, uh, benefits and uh, you know, great things that come out of that. In the same way, in closed communion, we say we're, Christian, and uh, only Christians are here to receive the benefits that come with that and the blessings that come with that. And so when we participate in that, it is uh, a blessing to us, and we can tell that, you know, I'm a part of Christ in the same way that I can tell people I'm married to my wife. Um, There's that uh, uh, closeness, that physicality, the um, blessings and benefits that come out of it that we receive as Christians, and uh, we don't just share those willy-nilly with any one. Um, and uh, yet when we receive them, it is a confession that we belong to him.
0: I like that uh, illustration with regard to marriage. Uh, I have a wife. Uh, Vicar has a wife. You have a wife. So we're all married, but we don't share each other's wives. Correct. Uh, you know, there there is an exclusivity there. Uh, and with that comes a special intimacy that is reserved only for the husband and wife. And Christ as the bridegroom and the bride as the church <clears throat> share a special intimacy and uh, a foretaste of the... Uh, intimacy that will last for all eternity in heaven is this uh, unique relationship we have at the Lord's Supper. And uh, I think think that is, I think it's very, very appropriate uh, for us to think about that in these terms. Pastor, we've got less than a minute left in this segment. Final words on Ephesians.
1: Uh, Read it. Read the entirety of the book. Uh, Think about all the things that Paul is saying. Seek to live according to his uh, writing. Uh, It is the word of God. uh, And where you fall short, repent, confess, and be forgiven in Christ. The love incorruptible went
0: to the cross for you, rose from the dead for you. And Jesus, unlike all of our uh, human relationships or even our feelings and our emotions, will never steer us wrong, will never let us down. Uh, we'll be back again soon, equipping the saints, God's richest blessings in Christ. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska.